What's up, y'all? It's Alex Miller from The Eagle. You're listening to the Mahogany Nation podcast. Over there, if you're watching the video, that's Travis Brown, the Eagles AM beat writer. What's up, Travis? Not much. It's been a long time since I've been in this room. Like, well, you've I feel been like gone. the last podcast we've done, all of them, I've been on, on this screen, not this screen in front of us. Well, that is true. Uh, we, we've missed you, but we're glad you're back. I'm so. glad to be back. Des Moines, Iowa, not fun. Well, Travis, we're getting into the thick of baseball season. And the a baseball team, it's been a little bit of a topsy-turvy year so far, particularly on the pitching mound. Yeah, uh, A&M hasn't been able to find any real um, starting pitching Uh, it's a problem that really kind of goes back to last year because, yeah, they had Micah Detmer. They had, uh, excuse me, Micah Dallas, Nathan (laughs) Detmer. Uh, I mean, they kind of were attached at the hip, so you could kind of just combine them anyway. Uh, Those two, um, and then you had some guys that stepped up in that final role, uh, 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 Prater, um, who, or excuse me, Prager, um, Ryan Prager, who who's kind of stepped up and did some good stuff there, uh, too, in the starting pin. Well, Prager uh, is out with Tommy John. Micah Dallas moved on. Uh, Nathan Detmer has kind of just been shades of his normal self, and they haven't been able to find anybody. I mean, Nathan Detmer is going to have to keep his Friday role because he's the only guy that they, they, that has shown, in the, at least in the past, that he's been able to to be consistent in that starting role, at least to some extent. Uh, Troy Wansing, Troy Wansing's in a bad place because he, he played last night against uh, Texas State. He started that game after getting pulled from the weekend rotation, and, and he couldn't find the strike. So not only with his breaking pitch, I mean, he, he couldn't get over the top of his slider, and it was flying into the uh, left-handed batter's box most of the game. And even his fastball, he couldn't find control. Just a, a bad case of the yips. And they haven't they haven't had a uh, a player reach uh, record a excuse me they haven't had a starting pitcher record a win since the second game of the Northern Kentucky series before the SEC and that actually was Troy Wansing uh, and then I believe the last A and M starting pitcher to go more than six or more innings was Nathan Detmer against uh, LSU to start out um, the the series they just they don't have any starting pitching. And uh, Jim Schlossingles even had to kind of go to an opener, get, go throw one guy out there who can get through the lineup once and then get to one of two or three guys in that bullpen, uh, Evan uh, Oshenbeck, uh Rudis. Root, well, not even really Rudis that much. Um, Will Johnson to, to close it out. Those have been about the only consistent arms. Brandon Garcia had a pretty good outing last night. Um, so it's, you know, I know you have a bunch of stats pulled up to show how A&M's hitting is, has not been very good this year, but, but in all reality, hitting hasn't necessarily even really been the problem. It's been, uh, it's been pitching, uh, Ty Sexton, again, another Shane Sadeo at time. I mean, but it's, it's hard to mention any of these names without saying, yeah, okay, they've maybe had a two good past appearances, but before that they had two or three, you know, pretty abysmal ones. It's, there's just no consistency there. Uh, this weekend, A&M goes to Auburn for a Thursday through Saturday series. They're going to go Detmer, Lampkin, TBD, which probably will be an opener, kind of a bullpen game uh, there at the end of the series. But you, you, you're not going to make it far once you get to, you know, A&M's not in good shape right now, but if they can make the SEC tournament, uh, there, you have to have 
four, even five good starting pitchers to, to make it through that tournament. You have to have more than three starting pitchers to make it sometimes through a regional unless you're going to win all three games. So uh, they have to find more pitching uh, before it gets any later in the series if they want to have any thoughts of, of postseason play. Well, AM, they're in a three-way tie for third right now in the SEC West with Alabama and Auburn, who they play this weekend. The next two weekends are probably going to be kind of kind of critical here in the middle stretch of this SEC play. Front front end of the schedule was pretty loaded. You had LSU, Tennessee, Ole Miss, but now you play a couple of teams that are right there with you at three and six. I mean, these are series that A and M has to win pretty much. It seems. I mean, it's 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 getting to the point now in the season where they're, they 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 can't really afford to drop many more series. And you mentioned it; the ones that they dropped are the teams that are at the top. But their schedule is is ridiculous here because they, they they have Kentucky which you know most years you say okay that's Kentucky this year Kentucky Kentucky's the number one RPI team in the country at least as of yesterday 26 and 3 8 and 1 and Kentucky is 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 <laughs> no joke this year uh and so it's gonna be a hard stretch they can't afford to, to drop any more series they gotta start winning games and and the offense again you can run through some of these numbers you pulled up in in, in offense and where they rank but the offense has produced enough to win ball games this year yeah you know what, what's interesting we talk about how how much the pitching has struggled um <clears throat> excuse me fighting some allergies aren't we all i know no kidding uh but you look at you look at where the batting is okay these are just the SEC stats. Anum's 14th, dead last in batting average. They're dead last in slugging percentage, on-base percentage. Um, down here in total bases, uh, they're second to last in home runs. Coincidentally, you know, we talked about how good Kentucky's been. They're last in the league in home runs. Uh, but Anum has 30. Um, just just very interesting. And you, you go down a little further, um, and Anum has – they, it seems like a lot of it, though, Travis, Adam's just had some – they've just had some bad luck. I mean, you look into ground into double plays, Adam leads the conference with 25. Um, you know, Austin Boast, it seems, has had kind of an up-and-down year. He, he's, he's made some good contact in the games that I've watched. Just, you know, hit it right at him. Ryan Targoch, he's, you know, the last couple games come around a little bit, but overall he's had – not a great season. Yeah, Ryan Targoch is a guy that uh, last Tuesday, a week from, from yesterday, uh, when A&M lost to Texas, uh, he, he, he had come in and he had had, a, I believe, like an eight-game hitless streak. Uh, he's second, second lowest batting average of any of the returning players uh, on, on the team heading into uh, last weekend's – or, excuse me, into uh, th- th- this weekend's series. And he, Jim Schlossigle even said, like, there's been conversations about pulling him from the lineup, but when you look at who they have on the bench, there's not anybody that's really proven themselves as, as stand away better. And they're kind of like, well, we might as well go with the guy who had. I mean, last year he led the – in SEC conference games, he led the SEC in RBIs and was 10th in batting average last year. And this year uh, he's one of the hitters that's struggling the most in A&M's lineup. And so it's it's – 
it's a weird position they have, and it's and it's not going to get any easier. Kind of going back to that schedule, you know, uh, Auburn this week kind of is a must win because after that they go to Missouri, RPI 21, Kentucky, RPI 1, Arkansas, RPI number 2, Florida, um, RPI number... Pretty good, probably. Yeah, I just had it pulled up here. Florida, Florida's 25-5. and five. I mean, they've got to be in the top 15. Uh, yeah, yeah. Florida's 12, um, you know, and then Alabama and Mississippi State. And Mississippi State um, is on the road, and the dude is no easy place to go play. I mean, yeah. things could start snowballing quickly if they can't kind of get a grasp on their pitching situation. Um, interestingly enough, uh, jo- they, they ran Josh Stewart out there, uh, f- Texas transfer. Uh, has a pretty cool story. He's a uh, uh, Aggie legacy. Both his parents went to A&M. Both his siblings went to A&M uh, out of college, out of Georgetown, uh, where he's from, a, a private school in Georgetown. Didn't get the offer to come to A&M, but was able to go to Texas. Had about 10 appearances and in, in one start uh, at, at Texas and was able to transfer in to A&M, but has only... Um, has only start uh, had two appearances before last night. Well, last night he goes two scoreless innings, uh, uh, strikes out three, and, and most importantly doesn't walk anyone. So much of what's going on with the AM pitching staff has to do with throwing strikes and not issuing free braces, whether that be walks or hit batters. Because as a pitcher in this league, in the SEC, you're going to give up home runs. Like you, that's just going to be a fact of life that home runs. But the difference in the teams that, that in the pitching staffs that win and the ones that don't are: are you giving up solo shots or are you putting guys on with walks and things like that to where there are three run home runs instead of solo shots? I mean, case in point, the Sunday game uh, it, that uh, they played against Ole Miss. Ole Miss uh, hit that game tying sacrifice fly. If it wasn't for Tab Tracy robbing that home run and turning it into a sack fly, that's a one run hit instead of a th- or one run plate appearance instead of a three run hit, and they end up winning the game. I mean, it's it's little margins like that, and A and M just hasn't been able to kind of put those together on the mound. Yeah, A and M third to last in the conference and walks allowed with 145. Coincidentally, they're only third. They have the third fewest home runs allowed with 21, but you mentioned how at times those have been, you know, more damaging because of runners that are on base. And Anum leads the league in wild pitches with 32. They're fifth in hit batters at 34. I mean, they're just putting guys, a lot of free passes, like you said. Those Travis. home run numbers are going to go up, too, because of how Bluebell Park plays. Uh, in the colder uh, time of the baseball season, there you have that north wind that keeps some of those home runs out. But once that southern wind comes in, as it has been the last couple of weeks, it blows hard out to left and left center. And uh, as you saw with Ryan Targot's home run uh, to win it on uh, Sunday, I mean, he, he he flailed his arms out there, muscled it over it, uh, Oppo, it and carried. it floated and carried <laughs> out. So more home runs that I've seen to straightaway center this year, too, than I have in a long time. I mean, uh, uh, was it Brett Minnick in his two-home run uh, game against Ole Miss, I believe it was on Friday, had one that went uh, four, 450, which is second most. Uh, Jace LaViolette had one earlier this season that went 451. That's the longest this season. But those are those are long home runs um, for college baseball, even though I know they have the metal bats. So those home run number, numbers are probably going to go up, both for the Aggies and against the Aggies as well in Bluebell Park. You know, you mentioned Brett Minnick. It just how much has it 
helped A&M to get him back. I mean, he, he's already seemed to have had an impact, uh, especially at the plate. Yeah, he's already moved up into uh, the, the four-hole spot in just a week and back. Of course, he slid into first base the first game of the season, fractured his hand, was out all the way until the Texas game last week was his first game back. And he didn't get a hit in that game, but he had some hard-hit balls that, that just didn't fall in for outs. And then followed that up with a, th- with a four for eight, three home run, four RBI weekend against Ole Miss. Uh, those were, you know, if it wasn't for kind of a grudge, uh, a, a grinded out kind of series, those could be SEC player of the week type numbers. Uh, he, he didn't get it because of the, the nature of the series, but um, uh, just really great to have him back. And, and we need to talk a little bit about Evan Oshenbeck because um, that's I mean, what I was going to ask you about next. Yeah, he's been he's been the the lone bright spot of the season. And I actually want to start because you have a little bit more. He's from Brenham. Yeah. Uh, went from Brenham to Blinn and then Blinn to A&M. Uh, this is his first season at A&M. You knew you were kind of on a little bit of that high school baseball beat when he was back at Brenham, at least his senior season. Let's, I'm going to start with you. And I talked to his high school coach a little bit, but but going back to his high school, what was it that you remember about him being a senior there at, at Brenham High School? Yeah, you know, I I just remember that was like right when I first started here at the Eagle and, you know, Brenham had a really good team. Uh, You know, that was the year, obviously, that everything got cut short. Um, And and when you think about um, Brenham baseball, I mean, a lot of good tradition and especially the last two years, Brenham's, Brenham's been a really good team. And I think that, you know, that was a squad that could have, done some serious damage had they actually been able to you know play um and i'm trying to pull them up they were that they were uh they were still in um trying i'm trying to pull up the well thing in, in, when in talking to his coach while you're pulling that up uh in in that season it was a shortened season but they knew that he was going to be their guy uh on the mound starting and 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 uh they they threw him against two of the bigger 6A Houston schools early in the season, and, and he held his own uh, in, I think he had, uh, I think it was 15 innings. He threw, he only threw one walk, and he said, you know, he's the prototypical guy who isn't going to blow you away. He's left-handed. He has that upper 80s fastball, but he he throws so many strikes, and he's consistent in the strike zone that, that he, he, he he's not that power arm, but he's a pitcher to every uh, – definition of the term he's smart he knows how to throw the ball uh has a good pitch mix and and the 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 key was he only threw one walk that that season uh, against Brenham yeah I mean or for Brenham excuse me you you look you look at the the schedule they were seven and four and one which you're like okay that's kind of pedestrian but you look at who they play I mean you said it Travis they're playing some of the best teams in the Houston area and they're all 6a schools which is very impressive I mean when you talk about Texas high school baseball, the Houston area and the Dallas area, they definitely dominate. And and especially that North Houston, kind of the suburbs. I mean, they tied Cypress Ranch 3-3, three to three, uh, got a win over Klein. Um, you know, th- those those are some those are some quality teams they were playing. And so, you know, Oshenbeck was gonna be one of those guys. They had a really good team. Uh, Jake Colkers was on that team. He wouldn't play, he's playing at TCU. Uh, Ethan Jazerski was really good. Um, you, you talk about some of these other guys um, that, you know, turned out to be good the next couple years. I mean, Burnham went to like the fourth round of the playoffs last year. 
So um, that could have definitely been a team that made a deep run in the 5A playoffs, and he would have been their guy. Uh, he was a guy who, who always wanted to go to A&M, um, was looking like maybe Sam Houston would be in the cards coming out of high school, but uh, ended up going to Blinn uh, for two years to kind of hone his craft. It was there and a little bit in the fall this year that he really worked on tightening his curveball. Uh, his, his high school coach said he, he kind of had two. He had the, the, uh, the, the big looping slow curveball he could throw early in account to kind of get batters uh, uh, off their timing a little bit. And then if he needed to throw in for a strike a little bit tighter, a little bit more of kind of a slider look um, that he kind of carried into junior college, he, he kind of leaned a little bit more into that harder cutting, uh, more slurve type pitch. Uh, and developed that more in the fall. But then you look at two seasons where he was a starting pitcher uh, for Blinn and at the top of their rotation, uh, only through only allowed 15 walks. Uh, so that's that's 16 walks in three seasons. Well, two and a half seasons because it was a COVID-shortened year, and that's exactly what you've seen so far from him at A&M. The interesting part, though, is that when he comes into A&M, uh, you know, his big kind of coming out performance was the 16-inning game against Texas Tech at Minute Maid where he went through most of the extra innings uh, scoreless. It was in like, that what, game. five? Right. And and he, Jim Schlossegel said he was a guy that in the fall, like, okay, yeah, he threw strikes, but he got batted around the park a little bit. They, they, they roughed him up a little bit on the mound, so they weren't necessarily expecting him to be super effective. But for a team that has just struggled to find the strike zone – He's a guy that, that will put it in there. In fact, his coach at Blinn uh, said that they even kind of had to work him into purposefully throwing some pitches, wasting some pitches, and throwing some pitches for balls and trying to get guys to chase because guys who could scout him a little bit knew if he was throwing the ball, it was going to be in the strike zone, and they could kind of tee off on that. They could time that a little bit because they knew where, about where it was coming in. But when you have a chance where you can throw a little bit nibble here and there outside – uh, for pitches, get guys to chase a little bit. It kind of holds them accountable a little bit more at the plate, and that's something he learned a little bit at the at the JUCO level because he was too consistent at finding the strike zone. So my question moving forward with this is, and it's something I actually asked Schlossnagel last week, is, is, is since he is one of the most com- consistent pitchers and they've been needing – to find some consistent starting pitching, is he a guy that's going to work his way into that weekend rotation eventually because uh, he, he has a starting background from both high school and his junior college days? He he has the right pitch mix. That's what I asked Schlossnagel is, does he have the right pitch mix to be able to go through a lineup multiple times? And he said yes, but then it's kind of like that question, okay, if he takes him out of the the, the bullpen, who fills that kind of long relief role, that consistent role of the guy that he knows is going to throw strikes? And when you have him in the bullpen, if he comes out and gives you three good innings on a Friday, that's like, for instance, this weekend, even though it was a rain delay, he threw 28 pitches on Friday. Uh, he came back and was able to throw like 50 on on uh, Sunday. Uh, and And so... You, you were able to use him twice in a series. It, that's going to be a big decision for, I think, Jim Schlossdegel and his staff moving forward. It seems like it could be a darned if you do, darned if you don't kind of deal, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the reality is anum has got to find some guys like Jacob Palish, like Moo Minifee were last year that, you know, when push comes to shove, 
he can call on them and they can get the job done. They haven't really found that other than Ashenbeck, and we'll see if he can continue to do that. I mean, just looking at the numbers, he's got the lowest ERA on the team other than Jaron Warwick, who's – who hasn't I mean, played? Yeah, and so he has one appearance. He's thrown one inning. Yeah, he uh, hasn't. I mean, they weren't even able to get him in last night when they tried to get everybody out there. So yeah, and so you know, you talk about the walks. He's got, he's got the second most innings behind Detmer, and he's got nine less walks than than Detmer. So, uh, and he's got one more strikeout than than Nathan does as well. And you look at some of these other guys that they've had to pull from the the starting lineup: Wansing, Wyatt Tucker. Um, Chris Cortez is a little bit different, but some of these guys, uh, 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 Carson Lambert, um, so, well, he hasn't really started, but, but some of these guys that they've had in the, in the starting lineup, I mean, those guys are starters. They're not necessarily used to, to coming out of the pen, coming out of situations where they have to start from the stretch, where they have runners on in high, high leverage situations. And so you, it's not necessarily like if you pull them from the starting lineup, they're just going to slot right into the bullpen. You're, you're kind of cutting out the number of pitchers that you have by making some of these adjustments. So it is good when you have a guy like Oshenbeck who could do both. And, but Cortez last night, you got to give a tip of the cap to him because he came in uh, in the eighth and the ninth and closed out that game that was, that was close, a one-run game against Texas State. Interestingly enough, the thing that wasn't working for him when he was starting early in the year is his slider uh, just wasn't being able to throw it for a strike. And you go into the eighth inning, he comes on with a runner on the, – the, the tying run on third needs to get two outs and gets two consecutive strikeouts, throwing all sliders. Yeah, he, he's got some good stuff. And, and A&M needs him to be able to utilize that because he, he's very talented. But, you know, his ERA is 6.17. That's, that's pretty high. He got, you know, pulled out of that Saturday roll. Um, you know, he, he was a guy that he, – he came out of the pen last year, though, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, he was in and out of the, the starting lineup because, I mean, he, he, I think he's best utilized as a starter. He's either going to be best utilized when he kind of gets together either as a starter or as a, an end-of-the-bullpen guy, a closer, because he has that – I mean, last night he touched 99 uh, <laughs> yeah. with that fastball. He has that fastball, but when – you know, Salsegon said it all – has said it a lot – 99-mile-per-hour fastballs don't necessarily scare SEC hitters, and the difference between 95 and 99 isn't necessarily that much different. It's the ability to change speeds and get guys to where when you throw that curveball, that fastball comes in and looks even more fast because of, of how slow that curveball or that slider came in. Or when they're sitting fastball, you're going to be able to collect a few strikes when they're not, they're going to take that slider because that's not what the pitch that they're looking for. That's not their approach. So the more he can be able to, to drop that in there, I mean, he's 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 mostly a two pitch guy. He has a little bit of a change up, but a two pitch guy isn't going to necessarily um, work his way deep as a starter. It's just a tough situation. Ultimately, I think if he's able to move on to the next level, uh, Chris Cortez will be an into the bullpen type guy. Well, nonetheless. Anum's got a big series at Auburn this weekend. Um, the Aggies, they're looking to get their second series win of conference play. Mm -hmm. Travis, also this weekend, it's a big weekend over near that neck of the woods. Anum men's golfer Sam Bennett, he's competing in the Masters, qualified as the U.S. Amateur Champion. He's going to get to play with reigning uh, Masters champion Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, another Texas guy, a, a UT grad, a little A&M UT thing going on there. He said he hadn't met Scotty yet, 
uh, when we talked to him last week, but, you know, kind of ran in some similar circles uh, as they were growing up in, in the kind of the amateur golf tour. He, he, of course, qualifies for the Masters by winning the USGA amateur uh, tournament, uh, and he and will go in as the, the, the reigning amateur of the country. Uh, the Masters, because it was founded by Bobby Jones, has a strong amateur history to it and and he you know he, he'll be in that future group you'll be able to watch him uh on espn plus all every stroke of his through the first two weeks but i love the quote he had with some of the reporters out at augusta where they said ask him you know is it just good enough to be here and he said no this isn't going to be a hit and giggle for him uh he's played in the u.s open uh you know he's played in some other pga tournament tournament events so it's not New, yeah, it's Augusta, it's the team. But but the other interesting thing is, is he's watched the Masters so many times, and he's played as as I have played Augusta National on was it like Tiger Woods fourteen? Oh yeah, or, or, or one whatever. of the greatest games ever made. Right, and so he said he actually feels like he he knows the course pretty well, though it's his first times playing it because. He knows the shots to hit that if you hit it there, you're good, or if you hit it there, you're trouble, or if, if you're putting or chipping down towards Ray's Creek, you're in trouble. You want to keep the creek to your back because everything funnels down there so quickly. So it will be interesting to see how he, uh, how he handles that. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Be sure to check TheEagle.com for all of our coverage on Texas A&M Sports. Until next time, we'll see you.